coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Thursday to you on what is a really odd and short sort of work week. A lot of folks took Monday off. Everybody took Tuesday off. Well, I say everybody. A super nice lady who was working on the 4th rung me up at Kroger, and there was staff there as well. They were working that day, so I'm sure a lot of retailers wound up working. That. In, in any event, yesterday I tried to get some real estate work done, and it was as if <laughs> there were other offices that just decided, no, no, the 5th is a holiday. Too. No, it's not. It's not a holiday. No, come on. We got to get some work done. And there were some who, you know how this works. On the Thursday before a holiday weekend, it's like, oh, let's close early and we'll just kind of blow off Friday. Or on Friday at lunchtime, oh, let's just close the shop early and head on out. And a lot of work didn't get done. So real estate work got backed up yesterday. Uh, I even kind of gave myself a personal day thinking I had real estate work and then I wound up not having real estate work. Nonetheless, I had a bit of an idle mind. And you know what they say about the idle, idle mind, right? Or idle hands, devil's tool, right? Nonetheless, I started having these epiphanies. As we're celebrating the birth of this great nation, with all of its flaws, still we have to admit, lots of flaws, right? Nobody's completely happy with the way things are in this country, right, left, center, or otherwise. And I started concocting, I should write a book about this maybe, but I'm not a writer. I should maybe get into it because it could be fruitful. I see Josh Hawley's out there selling his manhood for $30. (laughs) Uh, the book it's titled manhood um but i just decided no i'm gonna save some of this for the podcast and and maybe one day i will write this down because i think that there's a blueprint for fixing what's wrong with this country that no one side would be completely happy with but would make this country a more functioning nation It's not hard to find the divisions and the source of the divisions. But I also think it's pretty easy when we start ignoring what divides us. And I don't mean ignore is to not take care of, but when we focus more on what unites us, man, there, I hate to sound like a politician running for office, there really is no ceiling for what this country can accomplish. It's just that the man-made divisions that continue to plague this country hold her back at the same time. I listen to and talk with conservatives all the time who give us the, well, I have gay friends. I have friends of color. And I legitimately believe that a good many of conservatives who have gay friends, who have friends of color, firmly believe that they are doing no wrong to their friends. But I also believe that those friends, a lot of those friends, don't tell their white, heterosexual, conservative friends when that ideology and their electoral actions have consequences to the negative for that 
person of color or that gay person or that gay person of color. A lot of us are conflict averse. We don't like to cause conflict. We don't like to point out when the actions of those nearest us cause us harm psychologically and internally. So with the advent of social media, I believe it's just become easier for many of us to express those wrongs. And we see the blowback coming from the right. This defensiveness, this aversion to what is called wokeness, woke culture. Yeah, it's like this wake-up call. Where is this all coming from? That's just it. Because we're a conflict-averse people, by and large, these problems existed and folks didn't feel comfortable enough to just speak it into existence to make you aware. And now social media and the World Wide Web and the ability to blog and the podcast, it's just brought all of these fractures to the forefront. I earnestly believe that a lot of conservatives believe we've solved a lot of societal ills and that going forward, there should be no problem. Everyone has an opportunity, right? Well, I mean, that's not exactly the case. And pointing out these fractures and these obstacles, some of them codified, some of them just systemic, doesn't always need to be met with a defensiveness. Well, I didn't cause that. Well, that's I wasn't born. That. Okay, that's fine. It doesn't mean the problems don't exist because of actions and decisions made long, long ago in a land not so far away. It just means that we have to address them. How many times have you watched uh, one of those uh, design, home design shows? Love it or list it. Great example. Love it or list it, right? Love me some Hillary Farr. And David's cool too, I guess. I mean, I'm a realtor. I should like David, right? I should understand. He's a bald realtor who gets frustrated with clients. Oh, I should so relate to that, but I'm, I'm team Hillary all the way. And the reason I'm team Hillary all the way is because she has to work with folks who are charging her with fixing up their home well enough that they want to stay in it with a less than fruitful budget usually, right? And with her and they, obviously all of the time, it seems every episode, unaware of the hidden faults. Faults that have festered over time, maybe even that the owners of the home weren't aware of, never were aware of, or just clueless about, or maybe even did know about, but figured, eh, we'll throw, we'll throw some flooring over it and no big deal. Fresh coat of paint over that mold, we'll be fine. <laughs> it always angers me when poor Hillary discovers, oh my God, there's a foundation problem. And it's been like that for years. And the house is going to fall on its side if we don't deal with it. And some of her budget, I love how she says that, my budget, has to go towards that fix that she couldn't foresee. The owners of the home act like they couldn't foresee, but they foresaw. And I feel like that's where we are as a country. We have a nice home. Could stand some fresh coats of paint, some walls moved in here or there, removed altogether, some new fixtures, an updated mindset. It's a pretty nice house, though. It just, you know, there's potential. There's so much potential. Hillary sees the potential, right? <laughs> Not Clinton, Hillary Farr from Love It or List It. So 
Hillary would see the potential. We see the potential. We all see the potential. And there are those of us who just don't like the idea of being that homeowner who has to like pack their stuff and get out of the way and live in sawdust and blah, blah. It's just too much trouble. Things are fine as they are, but they're not. The foundation of the house is crumbling beneath you. It's not going to be there for your kids and their kids and so on and so on. That's kind of where we are as a country. Yeah, the house is okay right now, but you can't ignore the fact that the foundation is crumbling beneath you. And we can't ignore it either. So we just have to come to some hard realities and stop pretending that things are okay. We slapped a coat of paint over that mold we saw. We, we, we put some bricks underneath the flooring. Foundation should be fine. No, that's not how it works. You can't do it that way. Sometimes you have to make hard decisions, and sometimes you have to expend to fix problems that have been long festering. So I'm going to spend a little bit of, in fact, I may wind up spending the entire show today talking about some things that I think would fix this country. Uh, not all of them are even constitutionally possible without a lot of work within the legislature. So naturally, it'll never happen. But I think if you listen to some of the ideas that I've come up with, you'll, you'll come to find that, by and large, these ideas don't benefit one party or the other, overtly anyway, to a point where there's just going to be an overwhelming change of control. I, I, I just think that some of these solutions are fixes for the country that put the power of the American vote back in the hands of the American voter in a way that I believe is substantial. I happen to think, and I know I'm biased, but I also, you know me, I love data. I love numbers, statistics. I happen to think that we are in an era of this country where we, we see the, the drug abuse, the, uh, the, 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 the want to sort of take our minds away from reality, the anxiety, the depression, the mental issues that we all face. And I think some of that, if not a lot of it, comes from this feeling of an inability to affect the sort of change that's needed, whether it be personal, familial, civic-minded at home, state, nation. I just think we, we all sort of feel at a loss to be able to do anything to have a brighter future, personally, familiarly, familiarly in your community, in your state, in your country. I think this fixes a lot of it. So, <clears throat> hear me out, <laughs> or don't if you don't want to. That's fine. It, this is a show. It's a podcast. You can choose to listen to something else if you'd like. But maybe take some notes and feel free to throw them back at me. Ron at ronshowatl.com. At ronshowatl on Twitter. We are now on threads, by the way. I believe it's at ronshowradio. Shared that. I shared that on my Twitter, right? Um, yeah, feel and, and you can also call the show. You can leave a voicemail, 404-919-2725. Glad to review any of the uh, the thoughts, the comments, the notes that you give back. 
And let's just see where we are on this. It's almost as if we're, we're looking at something of a constitutional reset, but I don't think you have to throw away the Constitution. The Constitution was made to be amended. We have spent a lot of time fetting this as the perfect document. It is not. Otherwise, the forefathers would not have granted us the opportunity to amend it. And by the way, we haven't done much amending in quite a while. We haven't done much amending in the last 75 years. And when you think about it, societally, this nation has changed more in the last 75 years than at any point in our history before. Which is sort of curious, right? Adjustments need to be made from time to time. Our forefathers saw the value in that. We don't take advantage of it. Anyway, we'll dive into how to fix America in minutes. This is The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday. Since it's a holiday week, headlines are a little on the slow side. I decided I would uh, have a little fun today. (laughs) And you think, this is fun for you? I mean, it kind of is. A little bit of a how to fix America, how to get under the hood and tinker with the engine and make her purr like a kitten. We have to first admit, as adults, as grown folks, kids know this, this country wasn't in its inception designed for all of us. It wasn't designed for non-landowners. It wasn't designed for non-white males, non-males, non-white males. Did I say that already? It wasn't designed for people of color. It wasn't designed for the enslaved. It wasn't designed for women to participate and be fruitful on their own or in conjunction with their husband or wife. It wasn't, speaking of, it wasn't designed for the LGBTQ+. It wasn't designed for the immigrant. I mean, the whole idea, the whole notion that this country was built by immigrants isn't lost on me because the fact of the matter is a lot of the actual labor was done by immigrant. And there's the argument, there's a lot of kerfuffle on social media about uh, stolen land. Um, I don't want to get into the stolen land argument because land gets conquered. It, it just does. That's a, that's a sad fact of life. Wars have been fought over religion, over women, over spoils, over land. And borders exist where land has been conquered, by and large. The, the native indigenous people were warriors themselves in some respect and would fight over turf. So it's kind of too idyllic, if you ask me, to say, oh, well, we should just give the land back to the indigenous. Well, they were fighting over it themselves. So which, which tribe do we get? Do you see what I'm saying? I would say it would be nice if we would, I don't know, adhere to the treaties <laughs> that we signed back in the day. It would be nice if we actually, again, had that adult conversation. You know what? Way back in the day or over time, we've done a lot of wrongs to our indigenous people and we need to make up for that. We're the greatest country on the planet. We can do that. But there's always this pushback from the haves, and I'm not saying they're all conservatives, but the haves in general, whoa, 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 you're coming after mine. Who said that? And and why would equality for anyone, threaten the haves in the first place. Because we always hear so much about millionaires and billionaires. Well, they built that. Well, they made that. Okay, cool. Then you're obviously able to succeed. All things being equal, right? 
you are able to succeed, right? See, in my mind, any pushback from the haves that somehow evening the playing field is bad for this country, to me, it's admission on their part that inequality has been better for them, that all things being equal, they couldn't succeed, all things being equal. It's a tell. And to see now here, I've gone on like three minutes on this segment. I've got about four and a half minutes left, and I'm supposed to start diving into how to fix America. Uh, what do I start with? Uh, I think I start with one that I've covered maybe already before. This, to me, is an easy one. You simply uncap the house. What do I mean by uncap the house? I mean, why are we stuck at only 435 representatives in the House of Representatives? Half of the U.S. Congress has been set at 435. We know that the U.S. Senate is set at 100. Two senators for every U.S. state, 50 states. And I will cover the U.S. Senate at length and ad nauseum, probably, next segment. But it bears asking again, why are we stuck at 435 in the House of Representatives? It's been that way since 1929 by an act in Congress. They couldn't come to an agreement on how to divvy up the power back then in 1929. We're probably way more divided now than we were back then. Going to an article at 538.com, I'll share this in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. The fact that the size of the House hasn't increased in more than a century is a real problem for our democracy. For starters, there is an even wider gulf between Americans and their representatives, as the average number of people represented in a district has more than tripled from about 210,000 in 1910 to about 760,000 in 2020. Moreover, some states are severely over and underrepresented as a result. Increasing the size of the House would not resolve all the challenges facing the U.S., as any expansion would involve trade-offs. For instance, adding representatives could decrease day-to-day legislative efficiency, and it would undoubtedly increase the size of the federal government. Yet expanding the House is one of the more straightforward reforms that leaders in Washington could pursue in our era of polarized politics. The size of the House is determined by statute, not the Constitution, meaning Congress could pass and the president could sign a law to change it. Let me give you my take on why this is a solution towards fixing America more than it is a headache. For one, we have 435 members in the House of Representatives, which means it's somewhat likely we may know some or many in the House who are household names to us. If you triple that number, roughly, say to 1,200, is there any way you're going to be able to keep track of the names of all 1,200 of your congresspeople. I mean, obviously, you don't know all 435 anyway, but any dilution of household names, whether it be Nancy Pelosi, whether it be Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, if you can mute them by a third, would you not take that, Gambit? I mean, would you not sign up for that? I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, right? If you got to hear only a third of Nancy Pelosi's rhetoric or a third of Marjorie Taylor Greene's rhetoric. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. You're like, that's a deal I'll take. It also goes a long way towards fixing the electoral college. The disparity in our votes for U.S. president almost completely goes away because Wyoming's now going to have three congresspeople and not just one, which means they're going to have five electoral votes instead of just three. California's electoral votes are going to go up because, well, they 
are the most populous state in the country. And obviously, they're being underrepresented now anyway. But that's going to be the same for Texas as well. New York, Florida, see, it all balances out. But honestly, the most important benefit for uncapping the House is that we go back to having a representative who represents 150, 200,000 people as opposed to 750, 800,000 people. They're approachable. They are more willing to answer to us when there are fewer of us to answer to. They can't run from gerrymandering, which, by the way, is another solution. Eliminate gerrymandering. Make all congressional line drawing done impartially. It's 2023. We have computers that can do this. Look, I I managed to give you that solution in like 20 seconds, right? So there's a lot more to tackle, okay? We've got the U.S. Senate. We've got the Supreme Court. We've got a lot more to cover on today's special episode of The Ron Show, How to Fix America. You having fun with this? You may not be agreeing with it, but it's got to be somewhat kind of fun to follow along, right? Anyway, we're back after this. More Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Call or text The Ron Show anytime at 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So I'm under the hood. I'm tinkering with the engine on how to fix America, and I certainly welcome your feedback. You can call. You just heard the phone number, 404-919-2725, at Ron Show ETL on Twitter, at Ron Show Radio on Threads and Instagram, and I've completely lost track of what it is on Facebook. I think it's The Ron Show Radio. Anyway, so we've uh, already decided we're going to uncap the House, which makes complete sense. And I think there could be bipartisan agreement on that to uncap the House because less populous states would benefit, more populous states would benefit. We, the people in general, would benefit. Our representative would be representing about a third of the population that they currently represent in most districts, although there are some in, again, smaller states like Wyoming that doesn't have 600,000 people that can't serve 700,000 people because they have to stay within the state lines. Uncapping the house, that's a big one. Ending gerrymandering, we talked about that. Just get rid of it. This is insane. I can't believe it's 2023 and we are letting, in a hardcore partisan environment, state legislatures draw congressional maps. Now, not all states do that. Some do have nonpartisan commissions, but the states that are more loath to do so or slower to do so tend to be the ones benefiting their party and that party tends to be right of center. So we, we got to agree, get rid of gerrymandering. It's, it's not democratic in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And I know we're not a democracy, but when it comes to the House of Representatives, the House of the People, that is supposed to be near perfect, near pure democracy. So get rid of the partisanship, get rid of the line drawing. The, these these districts are drawn in ridiculous forms and shapes. And again, it's 2023. Computer programs can do this for us. It's not AI. It's just taking what you have, technologically speaking, and using it to your advantage. No different than when our framers decided to write with ink and quill versus etching with stone. They took the technology that was available to them and put it to use. The next part is going to be controversial, and I'm going to get some pushback from the right on this, but I promise if you just bear with me, wingers, it'll all sort of work itself out, okay? Okay. Can we? All right. We good? I believe that no senator should exist from any state with less than a million residents. That's right. I said it. No state should have a senator until they reach 
one million in population. Sorry. I do believe that there should be one senator for every state with a million to two million people, and every state with two million or more should have their allotment of two senators. It's a flaw that the framers overlooked or didn't consider when putting the Constitution together. Like, there is really no line of demarcation. How many people you have to have to be a U.S. state? Shy of, I think, 60,000. There was uh, a 60,000 population threshold that was set, I believe, back in the 1790s, early 1790s, yeah, um, that sets that number. I mean, there are other things that a territory has to do in order to be considered for statehood. And of course, Congress has to weigh in on it. But it's 2023, 60,000 people live within a two-mile radius of where I am in Atlanta. And we're not a state. Now, how do we fix the underrepresentation for those states that don't have senators? Okay. Good question. I don't know. I really don't. We have a problem that our framers didn't foresee and Congress and presidents for the last 30 or so chose not to address. There will be howling from those states that lose representation. Yeah, it sucks. I get it. It sucks. It's almost like you're D.C. or Puerto Rico. You don't like second-class citizenship, do you? Are you are you figuring out the, the shade I'm throwing you? And I'm actually going to fix some of that down the road with some subsequent fixes, if you'll just bear with me. But at first, that means no senators for Wyoming or Vermont. There you go, left and right. Alaska, North Dakota, and South Dakota. That's three more for the right. So the right would howl about that. Well, then you start going into the states that are going to lose at least one member in the Senate because they're in that one to two million range. Look at here. Delaware, Rhode Island, Montana. That's right. For the most part, they lose one or each party loses a half because it's a split state there. Maine, New Hampshire, Hawaii. See, I mean, I've, I've reeled off five states there out of six, right? West Virginia. There you go. Idaho, Nebraska, and then you're at 2 million people. A little more even there. And by and large, you're going to find yourself that the Republicans lost like 11.5 seats, Democrats and Independents lost about 7.5. So Republicans are not going to be happy with that loss, that net loss. But what if you then flip the page and say, but this also means D.C. and Puerto Rico deserve statehood. D.C. actually doesn't get a senator because they're not at a million plus. Okay, all right, good. Puerto Rico would because they are at a million plus. Uh, in fact, I believe Puerto Rico is going to get two senators because they're at three million population. So already the right is like, wait a minute. Not only <laughs> did we lose four more seats, now we're at a six-seat negative. Okay. But I also think that maybe combining Delaware and Maryland, Rhode Island and Massachusetts makes sense. 
I also believe combining the Dakotas makes a lot of sense and gets them one seat back. Yeah, yeah. See, I've just eliminated three of that. Uh, what was it? Six seat uh, deficit, and then you could split California into two. It's a populous state and geographically very long. It's like the sixth largest economy in the world, right? You could split the state, and you'd probably even net a Republican Senate seat from that. So I think it all sort of balances out. Sort of. Close. Not great, but close. Now, I was crunching the numbers after making all of these changes, and I believe that that gives the Democrats a three-seat majority with 82 seats. There were the loss of two independents, by the way, in that process. Vermont lost its independent, Maine lost its independent. Or, or half of whatever. <laughs> Since at some point in time, those states are going to have to vote on their one senator at some point. In time. Um, so that gives a, 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 a plus three majority for Democrats with one independent left. That would be Kirsten Sinema in Arizona. Here's another fix, I believe. And, and by the way, the, the Senate thing, if you're just catching up to that and you're like, well, none of this is going to happen. Well, no, of course none of this is going to happen. It should. It should, though. And I'm not just saying this because I drafted this up. And trust me, this was all basically written on the back of a cocktail napkin for crying out loud. It's not like uh, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm drafting a new U.S. Constitution. I'm just saying these are things that would fix the country. And a lot of what I've suggested can be done right away. Uncapping the House could be done easily. The whole, uh, you know, withholding Senate seats from states with less than a million. No, that's not going to happen. You're not going to get those states to agree to it. But it should. This is uh, an ill that has long needed addressing and hasn't been. And the further we kick the can down the road, the worse it'll get. Like literally, the worse it'll get. States like Wyoming aren't growing by population fast enough for there ever to be parity population-wise. I mean, I guess at some point in time, we're all going to be packed on this planet long after I'm dead. Humanity will just be packed like sardines on this planet anyway, the way we... Anyway, we could talk about birth rates and what the climate or what the uh, what the what the planet could sustain, but that's another matter for another day. No, obviously the Senate stuff's not going to happen. I'm just saying this would fix a lot of what needs to happen. And combining states with less than a million people addresses the lack of representation, right? Okay, I can't fix Wyoming because Wyoming is just out there on its own, and I don't know. What do you do? You, you, do you do you split the state? into, well, I mean, it's a, it's a square. You could into cubes and let it go. I don't know. I don't know. Wyoming sort of falls in that no-go zone. And judging by its population of less than 600,000 people, there aren't a whole lot of people go there. So put a pin in that. I also believe that we should set our Senate filibuster at 50%, not 40. It's at 40 right now. I think 40 is too low of a threshold. But I also think setting it at 50% starts to bring back the horse trading, the dickering, the back and forth. Dare I say it? The bipartisanship. Because there are going to be bills and amendments that are going to come up that no matter the makeup of the U.S. Senate, you'll be able to say, you know what? I don't care if that's a Republican idea as a Republican. I can't go along with that. And if I'm only one of 
two Republicans and there's 49, 48 Democrats, I'm sorry, 39, 40, since we're at 82, then I'm going to caucus with them on this. We're going to filibuster that. It's a bad idea. I mean, how many times did we see a Susan Collins in Maine or a Lisa Murkowski in Alaska lack the political will to do something that needed to be done? And on the contrary, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, suddenly had the political <laughs> will to do something. I, I think if you set the filibuster at 50%, you get more done. You actually start to see some actual bipartisanship in the U.S. Senate, something that has long been missing. 50%. I think that's what you said. Now, there's a lot more to do. and. Some of these things that I've already set in motion, uncapping the House, uh, lack of senators for the states with less than a million, combining some of the states with less than a million so that you are actually able to extend that representation. Um, what else? Uh, D.C., Puerto Rico, statehood, setting the filibuster at 50%. Some of these things will actually set some other things into action. Like, first of all, we mentioned getting rid of gerrymandering. You get rid of gerrymandering at the federal level. You should also, by the way, one fell swoop, be able to get rid of it at the state level. The lack of representation or the dilution of representation or the allowing of representatives to choose their district instead of the district choosing their representation is a lot of what ails this country, right? Right. But we've seen just in the last six years where now even our judiciary is not representative of the people. And so my last segment, I'm going to dive into the judiciary. So if you'll bear with me, we'll come back and we will tackle the Supreme Court and how it should be made up. That's the last segment on How to Fix America, The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaonradio.com, or wherever you podcast. All right, final segment of The Ron Show for Thursday, my special episode, How to Fix America. And I've gone over a lot of things, and I can already hear those on the right. See, liberals are fundamentally trying to change America. Yep, for the better. And that needs to be the response anytime a liberal or progressive is accused of that. Yep, for the better. Damn right. My man Bernie would do that. You're damn right, for the better. I've been working on my Bernie Sanders a little bit. So, to review, we have uncapped the House, which makes total sense, needs to almost triple the size of the House of Representatives so that it keeps track of what the representation was like the last time the House number was set at 435, back like in the 19-teens and codified by a 1929 Reapportionment Act. Why? Congress can fix that right now. Go from 435 to 1200. If you mean to tell me that's two-thirds less Marjorie Taylor Greene, you wouldn't sign up for that? Those of you on the right, would you not take that deal if that, I mean, trust me, I think, I think two-thirds less MTG is good for your side too, but that means two-thirds less AOC, right? Would you not sign on that? So we uncap the House. We also eliminate senators for states with less than a million people. It's just unnecessary. But that also means combining some of the states that are at less than a million people with other states that have a million plus or whatever, and you start aligning states so that you have one Dakota, two Californias, Delaware and Maryland become one state. Uh, Rhode Island, Massachusetts become one state. Uh, D.C. and Puerto Rico get statehood. And suddenly we're at 82 senators instead of 100 for a net gain of three on the Democratic Party side, I think, after it's all said and done. 
and it's it's at one now anyway, so it's almost like a negligible thing. And some states like Montana are going to lose a senator, but one of them's a Democrat. So would you not take that? We then set the filibuster at 50%, which puts the Senate back to work, dickering and bargaining and uh, moderating and, dare I say, finding common ground, middle ground. Crazy stuff, right? The last thing I want to do, this is how to fix America. And all of these changes, by the way, have ripple effects that kind of rain down, not like trickle-down economics, but actually kind of rain down at the state and local level too. Because we also mentioned we're going to eliminate gerrymandering. You eliminate gerrymandering, and then you got to do that at the state level, you got to do that at the county level. And lo and behold, next thing you know, voters are picking their representatives instead of the representatives picking the voters. What a concept. The last thing, you align the Supreme Court with the U.S. Circuit Court map. And I know what you're thinking. Okay, what's the big deal about that? We have nine justices. We have 13 circuits. Mm-hmm. That's right. Pack the court. And if this is something that you, the right won't agree to right away, fine. Let's do it over time. Do it over time. Add one for every five years instead of, don't, don't do it in even numbers because you do it in even numbers, it becomes an electoral issue. No, no, no. Take this off the ballot for God's sakes. This just needs to happen. Every five years we add a district or I mean a circuit. So for the next 20 years, we will grow a circuit every five years. And by the way, everyone in the U.S. Supreme Court gets assigned a circuit. Now, I could sit here and spend time going through, okay, so Sotomayor was born in the Bronx. She gets that. I could sit here and do that. Uh, Clarence Thomas, born in or raised in Georgia. I mean, I could sit here and do that. But nonetheless, you, you try and do that if you can but you're, you're probably going to have some overlap. So you just start assigning circuit districts uh, after that, okay? And from there on, once, uh, once, you, once we've got a clean slate where every new Supreme Court vacancy is filled by someone who would represent that circuit from that circuit, then I, I think you start to see actually a representation of these United States on the highest bench in the land. What I mean is any overlap means that the elder justice of the circuit holds the circuit. The junior member would serve uh, a vacant circuit until uh, the senior justice of his or her circuit retires or passes. And then all future vacancies would be filled by justices serving the vacated circuit to be nominated by the president in office without regard to re-election status or proximity to the end of second term. We'll let that wash over you just a little bit. We're talking about growing the U.S. Supreme Court over a 20-year period so that it matches the number of U.S. circuits. It's not a radical concept. It's actually a concept that the basis of our country's judiciary was set at long, long ago in a land not so far away, as I've said a couple times. And it's still an odd number. Although back in the infancy of this country, we're set at six. Six because we only had, I think, three districts, three circuits at the time. We had a Eastern, Middle, and Southern. But they weren't so partisan back then. Everyone was Federalist, so there wasn't so much disagreement. But now if you set it at an odd number of 13, and by the way, the Chief Justice isn't really a thing. The chief justice is kind of like a thing that comes up like uh, an impeachment. You have to have a chief justice. Well, okay, so get rid of the chief justice then. Why do we have a chief justice? 
There's nothing in the Constitution that says you have to have a chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court all the time, just in special circumstances. So maybe that's something that kind of rotates amongst the 13 justices. And I'm not saying that this is going to net the United States a 7-6 liberal majority, conservative majority. I am saying that when you take care of all the other things that we've talked about, you uncap the House so that presidential elections and the Electoral College better reflect the will of the people without being straight on popular vote, mob rule, they call it, you still get a better outcome. And I don't mean better by D versus R. Although, what is what do we say? Seven of the last eight popular votes have gone Democrats' way, and yet we are looking at a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court. Now, the right is enjoying that. They, they are, by and large, enjoying that run. And you, you see in polling that what the Supreme Court nets them the will of the, not just majority, the overwhelming majority, is dead set against. You can't tell me that that's good for the country. You, you, you just can't. That's not, not in a, a representative democracy. It's not good. And I'm not saying it's going to come to blows or there's going to be a revolution or anything like that. But you have to admit, it's a toxic combination. You're, you're playing, you're literally, you spilled gasoline and you're flicking the Bic lighter. You're, you're just, you're playing with fire. And I love this country too much. I think we agree on a lot more than we disagree on. And we've been driven apart by partisan politics and powerful moneyed interests that have way too much sway on our government. And a lot of what I've lined out on this show I believe fixes that. When we grow the representation in Congress, that puts the power more in the people's hands. It's a lot harder to influence an election amongst 150,000 or 200,000 voters as opposed to 700,000. And by the way, knowing that your vote really does matter, not just for your congressperson, but also for the presidency, drives turnout. Moneyed interest don't like that. I really think that a lot of what I spill out today fixes this country. And I know that there are some flaws in it, and I'm willing to bargain and dink, uh, dicker a little bit, especially with the Senate stuff, because when you wind up with a Wyoming that has no U.S. Senate seats, there's going to be problems. But then again, Wyoming only has like less than 600,000 people. Why do they have a U.S. Senate seat when I live in a county with 600,000 people that has to share two of its Senate seats with the rest of the 9 million plus population of the state of Georgia. It's just not right. It's just not right. All right. There will be annotations and show notes abound. <laughs> Feel free to chime in as well at Ron Show ATL on Twitter, at Ron Show Radio on threads or Instagram. Ron at RonShowATL.com is my email address. You can also call the show, leave your voicemail if you'd like, 404-919-2725. There will be show notes. Again, we'll have that all for you at ronshowatl.com. And if you have uh, you know, anything you'd like to add from there, like I said, feel free to hit me back. Just my, my bored mind today with uh, a plenty of time to kill and some notes to write on how to fix America 
And maybe one of these days I'll make a book of it and folks will buy it and just, you know, okay, well, that'd be nice, but it's not going to happen. A lot of it's not going to happen. I get it. I'm not saying it is. But you got to start having discussions like this at some point in time, right? That's it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. here on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Have a great evening.